I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We come to the end of this discourse, which some have called the Sermon on the Plain. You had the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And this has parallel thoughts in this discourse, but it's also mentioned that he's on a level ground. He stood on a level place in chapter 6, verse 17, it said. So the Sermon on the Plain, very similar themes and parallel thoughts in both sermons. This here comes to the conclusion, verses 46 through 49. And throughout this discourse, Jesus has been addressing disciples. We've mentioned that every time, just about in every section, he reminds us that he's talking to disciples, those who are professing believers. Um, those who follow Christ, who at least say they follow Christ. But there has been this back and forth a little bit along throughout it, right? The blessings were followed by woes. Um, our love should be different, he says, than the self-serving love of, of those who are not professing believers. And yet he's talking to disciples, so he's, he's saying some among you are living just like everyone else. Right? There, there's nothing beyond that profession. He went on to say we should know the difference between rebuking and condemning. Right? Judging not in such a way that we cast people out of our lives. We want nothing to do with them. Instead, we should be the first to repent, recognizing our own sin and pulling that log out of our own eyes before we begin to call others to repentance. And so as we come to this conclusion, Jesus... Uh, gives a very direct question to his audience, to his listeners. And it's a question of integrity. Right? Are they a people of integrity? Are they doing what they say? And so I think you might summarize this section in this way, that the Christian's security on the day of judgment is a faith that goes beyond words. Right? The only person who's going to have assurance on that day is the one whose, whose faith has, has been something that, that they had in their hearts, that they knew was true, that they rested in, that they acted upon, that they practiced in their lives. Something that goes beyond words. So before we read the passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word, that we can open it and we can study it. We can be like Bereans here, studying ourselves, or studying this truth for ourselves, that we might be honest in how we are living and how we are out of accord. Lord, we, we, we will experience that. Every time we open your word, there will be a level of conviction there because we'll recognize maybe where our hearts have grown cold. And we'll see in ourselves uh, areas of weakness and doubt. And so, Lord, we, we come asking you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth, that we would be comforted and that we also would be exhorted and challenged, transformed by the work of your Spirit and in through your word. And so, Lord, we know that you glorify yourself in doing that work that only you can do. 
So Lord, meet us here now and arrest our thoughts and our hearts that we would engage with you in a deeper way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Read with me Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, he, come, he opens up here, verse 46, with a challenging question. It's a question to the professor, the, prof, the, the one making a profession of faith. Not the professor in the sense of a teacher, but in the sense of a one who is professing faith as a disciple, he questions them. He says, Any, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Anyone who considers Jesus to be their Lord or master must honor him as their Lord. In fact, this word, if you looked at the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, um, this word is the same word. It's always translated consistently from what we find in the Old Testament, is Yahweh. It's the tetragrammaton, Y-H-V-H or W-H, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Sometimes some people pronounce it Jehovah, uh, which actually comes from a German strain of, of thought. So um, I think Yahweh is accurate. But the idea is it's, it's the Old Testament name for God, Yahweh. And in the New Testament, it's always translated Lord, Kyrios. So for someone to declare Jesus to be Lord is to say that he's their master, to say that they have an intimate relationship with him and one that is submissive. They recognize him as king. You cannot call him Lord and then act like he has no authority over you. Act like you're free to do whatever you want. That's that, what kind of relationship between a master and a servant operates according to those lines. Right? We do what he says. Your obedience, in fact, is the evidence of his lordship. So once again, Jesus is ensuring that his hearers know he's talking to his disciples, those who profess him as Lord. He doesn't merely have the Pharisees in mind here as he challenges them with convicting words, although they're included in this challenge. But it's anyone who would sit under his teaching. Right? Matthew's parallel account in, um, in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29, has the same story, but it's elaborated a little bit. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And how did the people respond to the discourse in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount? And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He taught as he himself had the authority given directly from God. And so they, they cannot treat him like they treat any other of their scribes and teachers. They need to elevate their uh, respect for him and their, their response to his teaching. So Jesus understood that doing his will included believing who he was. That's, that's presumed by Jesus here. John Calvin says, these words, therefore, do not exclude faith. He's not, he's not saying this has nothing to do with belief or faith, that this is just a works-based righteousness. No, he says, these words, therefore, do not exclude faith, but they presuppose it as the principle from which other good works flow. Right? So there's a direct correlation between justification and sanctification, what you believe about Jesus has an impact upon how you live. It, it must. And so in other words, justification is presumed in this teaching. That is consistent with what James has said. And we looked at this last week. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If all you do is hear, you're deceiving yourselves that you're a believer. A believer will be a doer of his word as well. Anyone who... For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So similar illustration there. You have this illustration of, of a builder who builds his, his, his uh, home on a foundation, on a rock that is stead, steadfast so that when the storm comes, when the floods wash up against it, it's... It's steady. It's not shakable. And, then, and that's the one who isn't going to forget who he is in Christ. He'll be a doer when he turns away from the word of God. It's like the man who's looking at himself in the mirror. You don't have to constantly keep that mirror in your back pocket. Reminding yourself once again what you've called to be, been called to do because it's from your heart that you're following Christ. So again, a professor may experience here the security of obedience, and that's this picture here. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So notice the, the work that's involved in this, right? He you don't just come, you must also listen. You must be attentive. That doesn't mean you can't take notes and you can't be doodling and drawing. Some people listen better when you're occupying your hands with something. Right? That can be a great way of, of paying attention, but don't do it in order to distract you from what you're hearing. Don't do it just to occupy your time. So there's work involved. You come and you listen, but you don't just listen. You follow that hearing up with doing, with application. 
So that's the man who builds his house by digging deep in order to lay the foundation upon the rock. He's digging, he's digging extra far below the surface in order to get to that hard pan. He's not, he's not satisfied until he gets to that rock. And if you've ever done any digging, uh, there's some tools we have now that make that digging a lot easier. You can talk to Matt Blocka about the value of a jackhammer. Right? That makes this digging process easier. That might just be to get through the concrete. But digging is not easy, right? You sweat and you, you grunt and you're exhausted after the work's done and you're sore and you have to ice your muscles. And if your hands haven't grown callous from regular routine manual labor, then you're probably going to have several blisters because of that work. And it's probably going to take longer than you anticipated. Every time you, and you, you plan on digging a hole, just double the time frame that you estimate. But that's the evidence that you're truly engaging, right? Is the willingness to go deep, the willingness to dig, the willingness to sweat and to work. That's the fruit, right? It's the evidence of faith, of a true and lively faith. It's good works. What else, what else could it be? Right, if, you, if you pointed to anything else, it would be quite subjective. It would be something that no one else could really know but yourself. You know, this is just between me and God. I, I've got a personal relationship with him, and, and who are you to judge? Right, we've talked about that, being the mentality of really broad evangelical Christianity today. And yet Jesus, he corrects that in this passage over and over again. So what's, cause, what's going to be the cause of your faith to make it so that it's unshakable when the floods come? It's that faithful, painstaking application of God's word. It's not just sitting under God's word, it's doing the hard work of actually applying it to your life, of changing the way you live. Killing pride, killing self-righteousness, killing laziness. Taking to heart a rebellious spirit and nature. And bringing that before the Lord in prayer and repentance and confession. And asking others to come alongside you and to support you, to hold you accountable in that. And then on the opposite, it's to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Right? All of these things are the evidence of a true and lively faith. And he doesn't hold back here. He continues to go on to say, what's the alternative to that? It's, it's destruction. Verse 49, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So notice what's done by this person. He's come to Jesus. He's even listened to his teaching. Maybe he even walked away feeling encouraged 
feeling convicted, feeling challenged, feeling motivated. But the problem was that nothing ever changed. He never obeyed. And this isn't anything new. Right, the covenant community has always experienced this. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31, and they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. From the prophet Ezekiel. He's seen the same thing in his day. So many have professed to believe in God, but their lives prove otherwise. Right, apostasy has occurred in every age of the church. And so here's the fact of the matter. It is sinful and detrimental to sit under the preaching of God's word and never apply it. That might sound weird, but that's exactly what it is, right? It's, it's not better to sit under the preaching of God's word and not apply it than to have never heard it. It's just as sinful. It's not like, well, at least I did that. I'm a lot better off than the other person. No, your house is built on sand. As soon as, as, soon as something, some trial, some great storm comes along, it's going to sweep you away. J.C. Ryle says some really good things on this passage, and I, I want to quote one section of that. I encourage you to pick up his commentary and read it. He talks about profession without practice. He says, The object of the parable is not to teach the doctrine of justification. This parable is not talking about justification. And in fact, I will pause here and say and point out, I wasn't sure I was going to do this, but the hymn that we'll close with, that, that the solid rock is Jesus Christ, that's true. And that's evidenced in Scripture, but it's in other places of Scripture. This passage itself is not talking about placing our hope and faith in Christ alone. It's talking about the foundation being an obedience to that Christ. So it's true, and we'll sing it gladly and joyfully. But I do want you to recognize that this passage, this parable, is, is not teaching the doctrine of justification. Ryle goes on to say, but the folly of Christian profession unaccompanied by Christian practice. It's, it's just having words without a life to back it up. And the certain ruin to which such profession must lead if persisted in. There's the key. It doesn't mean that, it, that you're never going to experience seasons like that. In fact, most of us can point to pretty significant times in our lives where we were living in rebellion. We all know what that's like. But if you persist in that, if you never turn back to the Lord, if, if you never put practice to the profession that you've made, then it will lead to certain ruin. And so he goes on in conclusion to say, this passage is a warning against antinomianism. It's a warning against the rejection of all works, of, all, of the law having any relevance to the Christian life. That's a, a big word, antinomianism, but it, it just means a rejection of the law, a rejection of the law as it pertains to the Christian. It's this idea that once we are justified in Christ, we just need to keep 
telling ourselves that we're justified. That's all we really need. We don't need the law anymore. We don't need the Ten Commandments. We don't need to, to consider and, and recognize what God has called us to. The, the law is not served as a map or a guide for the Christian. It's, it's simply to remind us who we once were and to point us to Christ in our justification. But that's not what this passage is saying. Now what? Justification must be followed by sanctification. It must be followed by obedience to the words of Christ. And so the question to the professor, the security of the obedient and the destruction of the disobedient, that's how you could summarize this passage. And here's the truth. The truth is that both of these builders, the doer and the hearer only, both of them were hearing the same message. Both of them may have been even using the same blueprints to build their house from an expert builder. But only one of them had a faith that went beyond words. Only one of them did the hard labor of digging deep and building his house on the rock. The others might as well have had a movie prop. If you've ever been to Universal Studios, you see these movie props, right? They're just a facade. As soon as you go on the other side, you see it's just a thin layer of wood. A gust of wind can blow that thing down. Jesus here knows our hearts, and he will not be mocked by false professions of faith. And it is, an, it is a hard question, but it's one we must ask. And we must test ourselves with whether or not we are building our house on the solid rock of obedience to Jesus Christ and his commands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.